Welcome to the Celebration Church podcast and thanks so much for tuning in. Celebration Church is one church in 10 locations across Southeast Louisiana. We are all about changing lives, homes, our city, and the world through Jesus Christ. We hope that you're both encouraged and challenged by today's message. Now today we're continuing our One Heart Sermon Series from the Gospel of John and the 17th chapter. Remember, Jesus was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane right before He was to be arrested and tried and crucified. And He was praying to His Heavenly Father on behalf of His believers, on behalf of His followers, on behalf of His disciples in the first century, but also on behalf of His disciples in the 21st century. And He was praying for us to be strengthened in spite of all the difficult circumstances we're experiencing and for us to stay united. No matter what circumstances we deal with, no matter what obstacles we encounter, no matter what elections we go through, for God's people to stay united. We've already learned about having one heart for Jesus and one heart for His church and one heart for God's truth and one heart for cooperation. Today we'll learn about having one heart for helping the world. I would imagine that you would believe as I believe that our world needs a lot of help. When you think about the world, all the crises and chaos going on in the world, when you think about the COVID-19 pandemic, our world, physiologically, emotionally, relationally, spiritually, financially, in every way is literally coming apart at the seams. But we believe at Celebration Church that God still has great plans for our world and He wants to use us to bring help, hope, and healing to our world. And Jesus was praying about that when He prayed His prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. Here's what we find Jesus prayed in John chapter 17, verse 18. Jesus prayed, Just as you, Heavenly Father, sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. In the same way, Heavenly Father, you sent me into the world, with the same message you sent me into the world with, I'm sending my followers into the world. Now we're here uh, worshiping the Lord today because I believe we believe that Jesus is God's Son and humankind's Savior. We're here because we believe that He deserves to be worshipped and He deserves to be exalted in our lives. We're here because we believe something special happens when we focus on the Lord and when we study His Word and when we worship Him along with other believers. How many of you would say that Jesus Christ is present in your life? That He's a part of your life? Could you share a testimony with others about when Jesus came into your life and how Jesus has transformed your life? Somebody asked a little boy one time, uh, what's your salvation testimony? And the boy said, it's very simple. He said, I did my part and the Lord did His part. And somebody asked him, what do you mean by that? You did your part and the Lord did His part. He said, well, I did the sinning and God did the saving. Well, really, that's kind of all of our story right there. We did the sinning, God did the saving. Thank God for the fact that God did the saving. But, but the truth of the matter is, we should be grateful for God's salvation. We should be grateful to have Jesus as the Savior of our lives. But the Bible says when we receive Jesus as our Savior, He's also to become the Lord of our lives. And lots of Christians haven't figured out that second part. That means when Jesus becomes our Savior, He's become the boss, the master, the overseer, the guide, the director of our lives. Two politicians were arguing one time. One politician said to the other, why don't you tell these people about those powers that control you? He was referring to some syndicated crime families, but the other guy misunderstood him. He said, you leave my wife out of this. <laughs> well, here's what the Bible teaches. We shouldn't let anyone or anything or any person control us except for the Lord. He's to be in control of our lives. He's to be the savior of our lives, but he's also to be the Lord and the master and the boss of our lives. Paul talked about that in Romans chapter 10. Paul said, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. He said in Ephesians 1.22, God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And then he wrote in Philippians chapter 2, God elevated Jesus to the place of highest honor. It gave him the name above all other names that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and 
every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. To declare that Jesus Christ is Lord means that you declare that he is to be the Lord of your life, the overseer of your life, the director of your life, the boss and the master of your life. See, Jesus is not only to be a resident in our lives. He's supposed to be the president of our lives, the boss of our lives, the master of our lives. Therefore, as the Lord of our lives, Jesus has the right and authority to give us instruction and direction for our lives. Sometimes when I'm about to purchase something of significant value, I'll say to the salesperson, that sounds like a great deal. Now I just got to go home and talk to my boss about it. And almost always they'll kind of wink at me and say, oh, she won't mind if you go ahead and make this purchase. I say, I'm not talking about a she, I'm talking about the Lord. He's the boss of my, I got to talk to him. And I really mean that because everything I have, everything I, have, everything I desire is, belongs to him. He's the boss of my life the Lord of my life, as well as the Savior of my life. So that leads to this question. Why does Jesus as our Lord, what does he as our Lord call us to focus on in our lives and ministry efforts? In his prayer here in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus said that he was sending his disciples out into the world to do what he did and to proclaim what he proclaimed. He said, just as you, Heavenly Father, sent me into the world, I'm sending them into the world. So what did Jesus do when he began his ministry on earth? He actually told us in Luke 4, 18, what he was going to do during his time on earth in his hometown of Nazareth. As he began his ministry, Jesus spoke these words. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty to those who are oppressed and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Today, I want to unpack those words that Jesus spoke in Luke chapter 4 because they tell us about 10 priorities or practices that ought to be a part of our lives if Jesus is indeed the Lord of our lives. To begin with, we read that Jesus has called his followers to bring salvation to unsaved people. To be at work bringing salvation to unsaved people. He said, the Spirit, God's Spirit has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Somebody asked me the other day if I'd ever met anybody who was poor, if I'd ever been poor in my life. I said, when I was growing up, we, we said we were so poor, we spelled it P-O-R-E. That's how poor we were. But you know, there are a lot of poor people here in New Orleans. There's been a spirit of poverty over this city since the days of slavery when New Orleans was the slave capital of the South. There are a lot of people with financial needs. And here's what I want you to know. The Lord cares about the poor and needy of our city, region, and world. And we know from scriptures that, that we Christians are to be concerned about the needs of the poor. By the way, we need to be helping the poor and hurting and needy in our city and region, but also all around the world. And, and later on at the end of this service, I, I want to share with you a video about how we're leading a ministry to help the people in, in Guatemala, Honduras, and Nicaragua who've been impacted by the, by the winds and the floodwaters of Hurricane Etta. We're always to be focused on helping hurting people around us. Now, much of that ministry in our city takes place through our life groups as they come together to minister to hurting people in our region. A lot of that effort around the world takes place through the missionaries that we support through our Everyone Needs Jesus missions offering. But the Bible tells us over and over that we're to have a burden for the poor. We have a heart for the poor. We're to be focused on helping the poor. And by the way, when we focus on helping the poor and the hurting, God focuses on helping us. We need to be doing that. But let me ask you, what are the greatest needs of people in our day and time? Some people would say people need food, and people do need food. Others would say people need money or possessions, and people do need money or possessions. Some people would say people need, uh, people need popularity or relationships. Uh, kids would say people need entertainment. Uh, the worst thing for a kid is to be bored. But here's what I've discovered. The, 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 most, the, most th the thing that people most need in their life 
is a relationship with Jesus Christ. And when they don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, they are spiritually poor. That's what Jesus is talking about here. Many people are spiritually poor or bankrupt because they have no relationship with Jesus. And when you have no relationship with Jesus, you have no direction, no help, no hope for this life and no hope for the next life as well. In Ephesians 2, the Apostle Paul was writing about people who were spiritually poor. In the first three verses, he, he wrote, writes about how people who are not Christians are spiritually dead. They're morally depraved. They're facing the wrath of God in this life and in the next life as well. And then he goes on to say in Ephesians 2, 12, Remember that in the past you were without Christ. You had no hope and you did not know God. Now think about that statement right there. Uh, when you're without Christ, you have no hope and you don't know God. That is, that is the utmost of poverty. Paul began that verse by saying, in those days you were without Christ. Can you, can you remember the days before you met Jesus and before he became the Savior and Lord of your life? Can you remember how he changed your life when he came into your life? I remember when Jesus came into my life on February the 25th, 1978. He delivered me from addictions to drugs and alcohol and pornography and immorality and all those kinds of things. He transformed me. He brought peace and purpose and power to my life, all kinds of things in my life. In fact, uh, now I get to talk with him personally every day of my life. Sometimes people will see me talking apparently to myself and they'll ask me, who are you talking to? And I'll say, I'm talking to Jesus. Would you like to tell me how you can converse with him on a regular basis? They'll give me a kind of wild eye look when I say that. But, I mean, I'm grateful to have the opportunity to talk with Jesus on a daily basis. Can you imagine going through your day, facing adversities, dealing with pressures, making decisions, and living life without the presence and the counsel and the help and the peace of Jesus in your life? That, that prospect for me is, is tragic and wretched and, and, and sad. But Paul said that's the condition of those who've never experienced God's salvation in their life. Let me ask you, is there any poverty more destitute than the poverty to be without a Lord on which you can call, without a Savior that you can pray to, without a master that you can trust in, without a friend who will always be with you? See, everything Jesus means to you means nothing to the person who doesn't have relationship with Jesus Christ. They are spiritually bankrupt. They are spiritually poor. Again, I can't imagine living a day without the help and the presence and the provision and the peace of the Lord. One time a little girl was trying to memorize the 23rd Psalm. You know, it begins, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. But she kind of mixed it up the first part. She said, the Lord is my shepherd, he's all I want. But when I think about uh, who the Lord is to me and what the Lord's promised to me and what the Lord's done to me, I mean, she, I think she got it right. Thank God that you, have, when you, you, you thank God when you have a Savior in your life, like Jesus Christ in your life. Here's what I want to tell you. You may have Jesus in your life, but most of the people around you don't. They, they are living without the presence and peace and power of the Lord, which means they are spiritually destitute. That's a miserable way to live. We shouldn't want to live that way in our lives, and we shouldn't want anybody else we know to live that way in their lives. So we got to do everything we can to help people enter into a relationship with Jesus. So how do we do that? I'm giving you some insight about that there on your study guide. We help people come to experience Jesus' salvation by praying for them. When I was way out in the world one night in a church service, when, my, when I was there, my mom walked up to in front of the whole church and asked the whole church to pray for me while I was there. Boy, it embarrassed me, but they started praying. And when you pray, God softens people's hearts and they become more accepting of his word. We help people come to experience Jesus' salvation by ministering to them, by finding ways to encourage them, assist them, and help them in different ways. We help people come to experience Jesus' salvation by inviting them to life groups and to worship services. Did you know that 85% of the people who ever come to a church service and give their life to the Lord came because they were invited by a trusted friend or family member? 
We help people come to faith in Jesus uh, by sharing our faith stories with them, telling them about who Jesus is to us and what he's done for us. And we help people come to experience Jesus by giving through our church to support the Lord's ministry locally and around the world. Every time you give, you're making it possible for men and women and teenagers and boys and girls to, to enter into a life-changing, transforming relationship with Jesus Christ. So, so here's what I'm saying. I'm saying that to change our world, we need to share with others what the Lord is to, has done for us, who the Lord is to us, and what we're learning from the Word of God. And when we do, God will do the rest in transforming people's lives. There's a lot of stories about that in the Scriptures. One is found in Acts 8. I love Acts 8, where the Bible says an ordinary man named Philip went to a city called Samaria, and he told the people there about the Messiah. Now, Philip wasn't a pastor. He wasn't a missionary. He wasn't a seminary professor. Just an ordinary dude. Went down and told the people of Samaria about the Messiah. Crowds listened intently to Philip because they were eager to hear his message. Many people were healed by the Lord. Many others were delivered from demonic strongholds and struggles in the life. And there was great joy in that city. Wouldn't you like that to be the testimony of New Orleans right here? And that could happen when we have a burden for people who don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You've got lots of friends, lots of family members, co-workers, neighbors, and others who are spiritually bankrupt and their lives would be transformed so, so much for the better in this life and in the next life if you and I would be faithful to bring the salvation message of the Lord to them in some way. So ask yourself this question. Who are some unsaved people I need to be praying for, witnessing to, and inviting to life groups and to church services? Jesus has also called his followers to bring consolation to bereaved people. Jesus said in Luke 4, 18, God's Spirit has anointed me to heal the brokenhearted. Now, I don't know if you know of any brokenhearted people. I'm telling you, brokenhearted people are all around us. I doubt if you could find any row in our buildings on a Sunday morning that has people who haven't experienced brokenheartedness in their life. Perhaps a loved one, a husband, a wife, a child, or a parent has been lost to death. Maybe a marriage or a career has ended and not worked out. Maybe a child has gone astray and your dreams for that child have been shattered. Perhaps an illness or disease or some type of physical defect has robbed you of joy and zest in life. There are all kinds of reasons as to why people experience brokenheartedness in their lives. So what are we to say with people? with broken hearts, when they come to us distressed about their families, about their health, about their children, about their marriages, are we to say, I'm sorry, Jesus can save people from their sins, but he can't heal your broken heart? Are we to say, well, Jesus is good for the next life, but he can't help you in the now life? No, that's not what we're to say. We have a message to the brokenhearted people of our world. Jesus is able to heal the most broken of hearts. I shared this story really not long ago, but I want to share it again in my small town I grew up in. They had a blacksmith shop. Uh, the guy who owned the blacksmith shop was named Rusty, and they would mend and fix all and repair all kind of broken things. In that blacksmith shop, they had this sign on the wall, and here's what it said. It said, we can mend anything but the break of day and a broken heart. But here's what I want to tell you today. I know somebody who can mend a broken heart. His name is Jesus Christ, God's Son and our Savior. Now, David, the psalmist, who lost his best friend Jonathan, and three of his sons to premature deaths, once said, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted, and He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. And many of you found that to be true in your own life, but we're not only to experience the comfort of the Lord, we're to bring His comforting power to others around us who've experienced broken heart because of some reason in their lives. How do we do that? We do that by praying for them. We do that by finding ways to minister to them, being sensitive to where they are and what's going on in their life and minister to them. We do that by helping them to take steps to find healing for their broken hearts, maybe bringing them to our Celebration Hope Center or, or bringing them to a life group or some kind of ministry here at Celebration Church. 
And then also by giving through our church to support the Lord's ministry locally and around the world. The Lord said in Isaiah 57, I will comfort those who mourn, bringing words of praise to the lips, and they will have abundant peace both near and far. We ought to believe that and pray for that for the people around us with broken hearts. And then Jesus has called his followers to bring emancipation to enslaved people. He says in Luke 14, God's Spirit has anointed me to proclaim liberty to captives. He said he came to release people from bondage. Now, the captives he was referring to there were not people in jail. By the way, if you want to know how to stay out of jail or keep your kids out of jail, uh, dedicate yourself to learning and living by God's word and bringing your family to church. A survey was done several years ago of 1,700 male prisoners in Arkansas prison. And here's what the survey discovered. Only one of those men, 1,700 prisoners, only one of those men grew up in a home where the family read the Bible together and worshiped together in church. And later on, the charges were dismissed against that man. But when Jesus came, said he came to reclaim liberty to captives, he wasn't talking about getting people out of jail. He was referring to the fact that people are often in bondage to sinful ambitions, sinful attitudes, sinful activities, sinful relationships, and sometimes even to the devil himself. You know anybody who ever struggles with sin? People ask me from time to time, Pastor, do you ever struggle with sin? I said, no, I don't struggle with it. I'm good at it. <laughs> uh, most of us are good at it. We have to struggle against it and not struggle with it. Now, we can laugh about that, but Jesus said this in John 8, 34. He said, everyone who sins, who keeps on sinning, is a slave to sin. Now, we all know that the drunkard is a slave to alcohol and the drug addict is a slave to narcotics. But we need to understand that the perfectionist is also a slave to details and the worry ward is a slave to anxiety and the bitter person is a slave to toxic emotions and the fearful person is a slave to fear and the greedy person is a slave to money and possessions and I could go on and on and on. Almost everybody I know struggles at some time with some kind of slavery or bondage or struggle or stronghold in their lives. We want to be free from these things. We said a thousand times we're going to change. But we never do. Because why? Because we are enslaved to sin in our lives. Now, people have always known their sin without, ha without having the ability to do anything about it. But the Bible teaches Jesus taught that he came to set us free from the sinful struggles and strongholds of our lives, from the bondage of our sins. He can enable us to have new attitudes and new ambitions and, and new attitudes and new relationships. People are also in bondage to Satan, by the way, in their lives. Several weeks ago, we talked about how there's a real devil who's always out to steal our joy and kill our testimony and destroy our lives. How does, the devil, how does the devil get such power and influence in our lives? Look at what it says here in Ephesians 4. Paul writes, don't let sin by letting anger control you. Have you ever done that? Don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil, a stronghold to the devil in your life. Now that same principle works with other struggles as well. If you let the sun go down on your lust, you give place to the devil. If you let the sun go down on your hurt, you give place to the devil. If you let the sun go down on your bitterness or unforgiveness, you, get, you get, give place to the devil. If you let the sun go down on your envy, your pride, you give place to the devil. And Paul wrote these words in Ephesians 4 to people who were already Christians, who had, given, uh, who had become enslaved by the devil. He also wrote in 1 Timothy 5, chapter 5, verse 15 about Christians. Some of them have already gone astray and now follow Satan. Now, that may sound like fun to you, some people following Satan, but let me tell you, the devil is a terrible, he's a terrible master. Jesus is a great master. He's a terrible master. He makes your life miserable. And so we've got to turn to the Lord, trust in the Lord, uh, surrender to the Lord, allow him to deliver us from the great struggles and strongholds of our lives, and then help others get free from the struggles and strongholds of their lives. 
How do we do that? We help bring freedom to others' lives by praying for them, by leading them through freedom studies, like the encounter book that we have here at Celebration Church, or something called Steps to Freedom, by bringing them to Celebrate Recovery or to the Celebration Hope Center. Again, by giving through our church to support the Lord's ministry locally and around the world. Now, Paul wrote about Christians helping others overcome demonic strongholds in their lives. He wrote in 2 Timothy 2, Gently instruct those who oppose the truth. Perhaps God will change those people's hearts and they will learn the truth. Then, then they will come to their senses and escape from the devil's trap, for they have been held captive by him to do whatever he wants. You and I have been called by the Lord not only to be free ourselves, but to help other people become free of their addictions, their struggles, their strongholds, their hurts, their bad habits, their hang-ups in their life. And may I remind you, we can't help others become free until we become free ourselves. By the way, if you're struggling to maintain your freedom, I would encourage you to work through that encounter book or I'd encourage you to email us and we'll send you a copy of the Steps to Freedom which will help you move toward freedom in your life. Send that email to grow at celebrationchurch.org. Grow at celebrationchurch.org. Here's what I want you to know. Jesus said you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Don't settle for anything less than freedom in your life. And then Jesus has called his followers to bring illumination to blinded people. He said God's spirit has anointed me to bring recovery of sight to the blind. Now, there are two types of blindness referred to in the Bible. There's physical blindness, which is a blindness of the eyes. And there's spiritual blindness, which is a blindness of the soul. Now, physical blindness is tragic, but a blindness of the soul is far worse than physical blindness. Jesus healed many people who were physically blind. And by the way, he healed them in different ways. One time he touched a blind man's eyes. And the man, a man could see. Another time, he spit into a blind man's eyes. I don't know how to receive that, but he did, and the man was healed. Another time, he spit on the ground, mixed the spittle into or the sand into mud, and put the mud in the guy's eyes, and then he was healed. It reminds us, Jesus sometimes works in different ways in people's lives. Somebody said, so as a result of how Jesus healed three blind men, three denominations were started: the Touchites, the Spitites, and the Mudites. But here's what I'm here's what I'm saying today. Jesus healed many people who were physically blind, but he primarily came to help those who were spiritually blind. I wonder, do you know anybody who's spiritually blind? Who just really doesn't believe in God or the things of God? Who doesn't believe that the Lord's way is a better way for their life? Spiritually blind. My father used to brag about his eyesight, although I didn't think he could see as well as he thought he could see. I said something one time about a sign in the distance, and he asked me, can you read that sign? I said, I sure can. He said, I can't read a word of it. He went to an optometrist, and sure enough, he needed glasses. He had a vision problem and didn't know he had a vision problem. Lots of people have vision problems. They don't know it. They have poor vision because they don't see their own emptiness, their own sinfulness or hopelessness apart from Jesus. They don't realize what they're missing out on by not having a relationship with the Lord. Many people have poor vision because they don't see the glory of knowing God or the glory of serving God. They have poor vision. They're spiritually blind. The Bible says Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They're unable to see the glorious light of the good news. And by the way, there are some Christians who are blinded as well. They don't see the need for growing in the Lord. They don't see the need for serving the Lord. They don't see the need for giving to the Lord. They don't get involved in a life group or discipleship courses. They're not bad or evil. They're just spiritually blind. They have a vision problem and they don't even know it. No wonder they keep bumping into the same obstacles. No wonder they keep wrestling with the same opponents. No longer wonder they keep making the same bad decisions over and over. They need to focus on growing in the Lord so they can overcome the spiritual blindness and ineptness that keeps holding them back. Now, if we're going to be like Jesus... We're going to seek to find people who are spiritually blind and build relationships with them 
and then try to help them come to know the Lord so the blinders are removed from their eyes and they can see the goodness and glory of God for their lives. I met a guy this week who was an atheist. Not Just a few years ago, he was an atheist. And his wife started coming to one of our campuses and, and her life was turned around. He made fun of her. He ridiculed her. He mocked her because of her coming to church and stuff like that. And so one day our pastor uh, sent him a Facebook message and, and he thought, oh, they're just fake over there at Celebration Church. But he responded, they, they started responding back and forth on Facebook, met, he, came, he received Jesus as his Savior. Now he's on fire for the God working in our youth ministry. What happened? The blinders came off and he saw the goodness and glory of God for himself. We ought to help others in all kinds of ways. We can do that by teaching them God's word life groups and worship services by uh, giving them Christian materials, by giving through our church. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. Ask yourself, who are some blinded people I need to be praying for and reaching out to in the coming days? And then Jesus called his followers to bring liberation to oppressed people. He said, God's spirit has anointed me to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Now, oppressed people are those who have been overcome by the trials and tribulations of life. They've experienced a lot of difficulties and a lot of challenges and a lot of, a lot of strange things happening in their life. I think about an elderly man one time who was in a hospital bed. He was getting close to the end of his life. His wife was there with him. She didn't leave his side. She was there with him almost all the time. And he was sort of reminiscing through his life. He said, honey, you remember when we first got married, how uh, we had only been married a few weeks and I, I was up on the roof fixing something on our house and I fell off and injured myself and I was out of work for an entire year. She said, I know, honey, I was right there with you. He said, yes, you were right there with me the whole time. He said, and then after I got back to work, I got involved in a car accident but, and I was out of work again for another long period of time, but you were right there with me. She said, honey, I've always been here, right here with you. He went through his life, just different incidents had happened where he'd been out of work or he'd been injured or something had happened and, and the whole time, his wife had been there with him. And finally, he said, as he went through his life, he said, you know what I think, honey? She said, no, what? He said, I think you're bad luck. <laughs> well, maybe we've gone through some bad luck. Maybe we've been with people who bring us bad luck. I'm not sure, but here's what I know. There are a lot of people who've experienced a lot of bad luck in their life, and they've been mar or married to someone with bad luck in their lives. But many people are, are in bondage to the difficulties and challenges they've experienced in their life. Many people are not only bound by their habits, but they're also crushed by their emotions, their attitudes, and their outlooks. I remember talking with a young woman whose husband left her and she had gone through a divorce. And here's what she said to me. Since my husband doesn't want me, I have decided that nobody wants me and I am useless in this life. Lots of people feel like that. They feel useless and helpless and hopeless. That kind of helplessness and hopelessness, that kind of misery and meaninglessness, that kind of outlook crushes people. But Jesus said he came to help such people. He said, God's spirit has anointed me to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Let me ask you, do you know anybody who's been beaten down by the trials and tribulations of life? You need to find a way to communicate to them that Jesus is able to help them overcome their inferior feelings, their bad attitudes, their negative outlooks, and all the troubles they've experienced in their life. How do we do that? We help people by praying for them, ministering to them, befriending them, bringing them to life groups and worship services, helping them grow in their relationship with the Lord, and then by giving through our church's ministry. If we'll bring people to Jesus, Jesus said He will find rest for their souls, and He will set them free from the struggles and strongholds, from the troubles and trials of their life. Now, we're talking throughout this message about Jesus. Jesus came to bring 
emancipation. He came to bring salvation to the unsaved. He came to bring consolation to the bereaved. He came to bring emancipation to those who were uh, enslaved. He came to bring illumination to uh, the blinded. He came to bring liberation to the oppressed. Thank God Jesus came to do all those things for human beings. But, but now Jesus is no longer here on planet Earth. He's at the right hand of the Father and he expects you, to, expects you and I today to do what he did in his day. Let me remind you again of what Jesus said in John 17. Just as you Heavenly Father sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. The question is, are you and I doing what Jesus did when he lived and ministered here on planet Earth? Are we carrying out his ministry here on Earth? Or are we just sitting on the sidelines, content with not serving God and not helping others? I was reading the story of an old, old evangelist many years ago who would have what he called a quitting service. A quitting service is what he called it. And so at the end of his services, he would invite people to come forward and confess what they were going to quit so they could live for the Lord and serve the Lord. People would come forward and say, I'm going to quit drinking or I'm going to quit running around or I'm going to quit lying. And finally, a lady came down. She came forward and said, I, I ain't been doing anything and I'm going to quit it. There are a lot of Christians who ain't been doing, pardon my grammar, ain't been doing anything for the Lord and they need to quit it. They need to get involved in serving God. They need to get involved in giving to the work of the Lord. They need to get involved in sharing their faith. They need to get involved in ministering to others. They need to get involved in discipling others because Jesus said he's sending us to do what he did when he was here on planet Earth. You say, I, I'm not sure I can do all that. You can if you have the presence of God's Spirit in your life. Jesus said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And he's the one who's anointed me to do these things. And the same Spirit of the Lord that was upon Jesus in his day lives inside of us in his day. And if we will surrender to him, if we will submit to him, he will empower us to bring salvation to the unsaved. He will empower us to bring consolation to the bereaved. He will empower us to bring emancipation to the enslaved. He will empower us to bring illumination to the blinded. He will empower us to bring liberation to the oppressed. He's called us to be involved in all of those things. If we'll just say yes to the Lord, we'll, make, we'll say, yes, Jesus, you're not just my Savior, you're also my Lord. We'll be amazed at the great, mighty, and miraculous things the Lord will do in and for and through our lives to bring salvation and healing and deliverance and transformation to people's lives. And by the way, you never even know what God can do in the life of someone that you pray for, minister to, encourage, invite to church. You never even know. When I go back to my hometown, the youth leader of our church who was there when I was a teenager always says, Dennis, you were the least likely person in the history of our church to ever become a pastor. But she prayed for me and ministered to me. That's several years ago after Hurricane Katrina. A man showed up in our church. Uh, uh, he had been a homeless guy. He told me a story. He'd been a homeless guy before Katrina. But our people, he came, really came to church because we had coffee during those days. He'd come and get some coffee. He said that people welcomed me and ministered to me and treated me like I was just like all the rest of them. After Katrina, they would, took me on a bus, sent me out to Colorado. There, somebody took me in. I started going to a church, like Celebration Church. He said, he said here's what's happened. He said, I actually went to work. I now own my own business. I teach a boys' Bible study class. I'm serving the Lord. But it all started when people reached out to me when I was helpless and hopeless right here at Celebration Church. Yeah. Several years ago, I was in Costa Rica uh, leading a conference for pastors. I led a conference this week for pastors in India. I was leading a conference in person in Costa Rica. And someone introduced me there to the leader of the entire network of pastors. I couldn't remember ever meeting him before. Uh, he's a bald-headed guy. And I, so I went to introduce myself through a translator. He said, I know who you are. He said, you came to Turrialba, Costa Rica in 1997 to preach a crusade. I said, well, I really, I in fact did. How did you know that? 
He said, one night on your way to the crusade, you walked through the Central Park. And there in the Central Park, there were some drunks lying on the ground. One of the drunks had vomited all over himself. He was lying on the ground, but you stopped on your way to the crusade, helped that drunk sit up, gave him some water, told him about, uh, uh, told him about the Lord, invited him to the crusade, and that drunk went to the crusade that night. He said when you presented the gospel, that drunk came forward and gave his life to Jesus. He was followed up by a church in the city. And in that church, he was discipled. He was trained to be a leader. He became a leader. And eventually the church sent him out to be a pastor. And now he is a pastor over the entire network of pastors. You're looking at that man. Which reminds us, the person we think has the least chance of being anything or anyone for God may become one of the greatest testimonies for the Lord. If we will just start being who Jesus has called us to be and doing what Jesus has called us to do. Now I want you to bow your heads with me. Our heads are bowed and I want you to close your eyes. I want to tell you, if you need salvation today, you need to come to Jesus. If you have people in your life who need salvation, you need to make a commitment to bring them to the Lord. If you need healing for a broken heart, you need to come to Jesus. He can heal the most broken of hearts. If you need deliverance, emancipation from some struggles or strongholds, Jesus can help you. If you need spiritual illumination, direction for your life, Jesus can help you. If you need liberation, if you feel oppressed and depressed by the circumstances of life, you need to come to Jesus. Jesus is the one who can save and heal and deliver and liberate you and others in your life. But it all comes back to we got to come to Jesus and surrender our lives to Jesus. Have you ever done that? Fully, completely done that? If not, I want to give you a chance to do so right now. Or if you need to do so again, I want to give you a chance to do so. Say, Pastor, what do I do? Just pray this prayer with me and really mean it. Pray, Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for leaving the glory of heaven and coming to our earth so you could save people from their sins, so you could heal people's broken hearts, so you could deliver people from their struggles and strongholds, so you could bring sight to those who are spiritually blind, so you could liberate those who are oppressed. Thank you for doing that. Today, Jesus, I want you to come into my life. Forgive me of my sins and begin the process of transforming my life. My life, my life. Take away my shame and my guilt, my hurt and my pain and fill my life with your presence, your peace, your love, your joy, and the power to change. And Lord, also give me the power to help others experience your saving, healing, delivering, transforming power in their lives as well. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take your phone or your tablet and go to webcc.info. Go to the My Decision tab. And if you pray with me to receive Jesus as your Savior, chuck off, I pray with the pastor. If you'll do that, I'm telling you, I'll pray for you this week and we'll call you and follow up with you. Maybe you need to rededicate your life to the Lord. Sometimes I need to do that. You can check off that uh, portion there on the My Decision tab. Maybe you need to say, I want to be involved in a life group right, so I can work with others and minister to others. Or, or I want to be baptized. Whatever the decision, take a moment and fill that out. But then I also want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to submit a prayer request at webcc.info and ask us to pray for God to use you in a great and mighty way in the coming days to bring salvation and healing and deliverance and transformation to people's lives. In fact, let me pray that for you right now, uh, this time. Lord, thank you for all those who've joined us for our online worship service here at Celebration Church. Thank you for those who've been faithful in doing so over these past weeks and months. Thank you for the new people who are doing so today. Thank you for those who share our services with others so they can experience the healing, saving, transforming power of Jesus in their lives. Today, I pray that you would enable us and empower us to rise up to be everything you've called us to be, to do everything you've called us to do. Lord, you can use us to bring salvation and consolation and emancipation and illumination and liberation to people's lives. Use us 
in the coming days, empower us and enable us to make a difference in the lives of others and to make a difference in our world. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. If you were encouraged by today's message, make sure to rate us and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you stream your podcast. Again, thanks for listening to the Celebration Church Podcast.